Morning, Bethel. So our scripture reading for this morning is uh, found in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Russell read from a portion of it already. So if you want to turn in the Bible there that you've brought, or maybe the one in the pew, if you, if you didn't bring one or if you don't have one, there's one supplied in the pew for you, and you can find, find it on page 965. So we're going to read together in a minute um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 6. If you wouldn't mind joining me in standing in honor of God's Word as we hear God's Word together. 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 4, 6. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Okay, so we are second week of a series on the Holy Spirit. This is going to take us through the remainder of the summer. And last week we focused on the personhood of the Spirit. So if you weren't here, you can find that message online. We tried to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? So that we can know Him. And we considered how it's actually better to have the Spirit dwelling within us than to have Jesus in the flesh walking beside us. And if that doesn't make sense, go listen to the message and hopefully it will. This morning we're going to focus on the work of the Spirit. We're going to try to begin answering the question, what does the Spirit do? And we're only going to begin because there's so much that the Spirit of God does, uh, and we will likely consider the same topic from a different angle next week, but again, we'll begin uh, this morning. What, What does the Spirit do? What is His mission? What's He all about? And as we learn, as we understand what the Spirit is doing what he loves to do, 
Then the question is, what's our posture with His work? Do we welcome it or do we resist it? Okay, so we want to welcome His work, and certainly we need wisdom because we want to reject any counterfeits, right? So before we get into that, there's something we should consider and keep in mind. There is a certain mysteriousness about the Spirit that we will never completely understand, okay? So Jesus said in that conversation with Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Abraham Kuyper, a theologian, once said, of him, speaking of the Holy Spirit, nothing appears in visible form. He never steps out from the intangible void, hovering, undefined, incomprehensible. He remains a mystery. He is as the wind. We hear its sound, but cannot tell from where it comes and where it goes. Eye cannot see him, ear cannot hear him, much less the hand handle him. There's also a certain, can we say it this way, shyness to the Spirit. As we consider the work of the Spirit, we need to know that the Spirit loves to direct your attention away from Himself to the Father and the Son, and actually to those around you who are in need of the love of Christ. So there's this glorious selflessness to the Spirit's work. And obviously the Father is selfless, the Son is selfless, the Spirit is selfless, but there's a special selflessness to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit won't let us be all about the Spirit. He loves to glorify the Father and the Son, and He's no martyr because of it. (laughs) He's not like, oh, I wish I could get some more of of the limelight. So it's, that's one of the reasons why it's so appropriate for us to sing Show Us Christ, like we just sung, in a series on the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit loves to show, shine the light on, on Christ. And yet, this doesn't mean that we're misguided <laughs> to focus our attention on Him for a time in a series like this, to understand His person and His work, because the Bible itself makes much of the Holy Spirit, And though the Spirit is like wind and loves to draw attention to the Son and the Father, that doesn't mean that His work is hidden away. Okay, when the Spirit is poured out throughout the Bible, stuff happens, things happen. Okay, whether it's a young shepherd boy who's emboldened to fight a giant with a sling. So 1 Samuel 17 is about David and Goliath. Well, 1 Samuel 16 is about the spirit departing from Saul, who was a head taller. He should have been the one to go out and fight. And David, a young boy, goes out and fights. How how, how did he do that? Well, it wasn't because he was just really tough and a budding Navy SEAL. It was because he had just been anointed by the spirit. Or Pentecost, right? People all from all over hearing of the mighty works of God miraculously in their own languages. So there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind. Imagine like a tornado sound, like a freight train, and then these tongues of fire. I mean, there's crazy, miraculous things happening, and all these people from all over the place are hearing in their own languages the mighty works of God proclaimed. Or even Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians of how he came to them in weakness, He said, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in 
demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. So on the one hand, we should recognize the Spirit's selflessness and learn from Him where our attention should be focused. And we should have great expectations for His work in our lives because He can do great things, powerful things. Okay, so speaking of expectations, what are your expectations when it comes to the Holy Spirit? I mean, like, boots on the ground, practical, the last six months of your life. What are your expectations? I mean, imagine someone in a remote village gains access for the first time to the Bible in their, in their own language, and this person reads Acts, the book of Acts. What do you think that that person would expect from the Holy Spirit? Do you think maybe that person might expect a bit more than you've come to expect? Oh, I know. See, some of you are like, yeah, but I I know all those qualifications. I'm not even going to acknowledge them at this point because the the point is still true. Listen to some wise words here. Okay, so I'm going to plug the book of the month a few times through this series. It's called Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. So listen to some wise words from Francis Chan regarding expectations. Because we might actually allow our fears to get in the way of appropriate openness to what God wants to do. So here's what he says. One concern I've often heard and felt, so he acknowledges that he's felt it as well, and I can resonate with this, is what if I pray for the Holy Spirit to do significant things and nothing happens? What if I ask for more of the Spirit's fruit in my life and don't see any apparent results? It's scary to pray boldly for change or freedom from sin because if nothing happens, then doesn't that mean God failed? Doesn't that mean his spirit isn't all we've been told he is? I think the fear of God failing us leads us to cover for God. This means we ask for less, expect less, and are satisfied with less because we are afraid to ask for or expect more. We even convince ourselves that we don't want more, that we have all the God we need or could want. I can't imagine how much it pains God to see his children hold back from relationship with the Holy Spirit out of fear that he won't come through. How much it grieves him to watch his children ignore the promises he's made throughout Scripture due to fear that those promises won't be kept. Empowering his children with the strength of the Holy Spirit is something the Father wants to do. It's not something we have to talk him into. He genuinely wants to see us walk in his strength. So I mentioned this passage last week, but I think we need to hear it again. Luke 11, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, parents, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? But there might be another 
fear at work. And again, listen to Chan here. The flip side of fearing that God won't show up is fearing that he will. What if God does show up but then asks you to go somewhere or do something that's uncomfortable? For many people, fearing that God will ask them to go in a different, undesirable direction outweighs the fear that God will ignore them. And actually, I think those are two sides of the same coin. It's a divided heart either way, which is not the faith that we should ask with, whether it's Luke 11 or James 1. So, if you fear how the Lord might lead you, what I'm not talking about is, you know, crazy weirdness, like we're going to start falling on the floor and convulsing or something like that. You know, there might be some things that we, we ought to be afraid of, but I wonder if we just are afraid that God's going to lead us out of our comfort zone. Listen, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit are inseparable, like word and breath. Okay? But that doesn't mean the Spirit won't lead you out of your comfort zone. In fact, it's highly likely. So I think we ought to know that, and rather than resisting that, I think we need to know why the Holy Spirit does that, why He leads us in these ways, and we need to trust Him. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. It's the title of the series, and we're going to get there in Galatians 5. Okay, so just expectation-wise, we need to kind of gauge our hearts, gauge our fears, and yield to the Lord in faith. So what's the work of the Spirit? What does He do? Let's start back at the beginning, okay? So there's an outline in your bulletin where you can follow along. There'll be slides up on the screen. So first, the Spirit of God is active, like right off the bat, first few verses of the Bible. Look at Genesis 1. So I think it's on page 1 in your Bible if you're looking for it. Um, Confirm that? Yes, it is page one. They start it that way. So Genesis 1, 1 to 3, the Spirit was active in creation. Very familiar words, but I wonder if you've seen some of what is here, particularly in reference to the Spirit. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Remember that phrase, disordered and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, kind of like a bird, maybe like a dove, over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God, by His Spirit, by His Word, began to form and fill the earth and the heavens. So creation is happening by the Word, let there be light, and by the Spirit. So just why don't we fill out the Trinitarian picture here? I'm not saying that Moses understood this when he penned these words, but certainly as we have now the fullness of God's revelation in the canon, you see there's room for this in Genesis 1. Listen to John 1.1. In the beginning, that sounds familiar, 
just like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of the Son, Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So God speaks the Word, and the Spirit is operative. So creation is happening by the triune God, by His Word, by the Spirit. Okay? So what happens next in the Genesis account? Things get ordered and things get filled. So point number two. We're not going to read all of verses 4 to 31, but I'll just point out a few things here. Look at verse 4. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated. Do you see how that's an ordering term? Separated the light from the darkness. That's taking formlessness and forming it. Shapelessness and shaping it. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So the sky above with the clouds are separated from the waters below. Again, what is formless or was formless is being formed and ordered. Same thing with the waters in the dry land in verses 9 and 10. This forming of the formlessness is called good repeatedly. But remember, the earth was originally void as well as formless. So God speaks, look at verse 11, vegetation and plants and fruit trees bearing fruit, bearing fruit so that's fullness, sprout from the earth, the void is being filled, and even the plants and trees are yielding things according to their kinds, which is order. <laughs> so there's order and there's fullness taking shape, and God saw that it was good. Onto the sun and moon for signs and seasons and days and years. The ordering of the calendar, the ordering of the seasons. And the stars are made and they fill the void in the sky. Look at verse 17. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Then God speaks and fills the waters with living creatures in the sky with birds. And they are according to their kinds. So more ordering, more fullness. God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them saying, okay, you fish in the sea, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let birds multiply on the earth. The same with the animals and reptiles and insects. And then look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So why did God do all this? Why did he do all this ordering and filling by his word, by his spirit? Well, it's hinted at in verses 27 to 28, which is actually, there's a typo there, it's my fault. Um, it says Genesis 1.29 under point three Y. It's actually Genesis 1.28. So look at, look at 1.27 and 28 here, and you'll begin to see why God's doing this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, fill the earth, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion. So I want you to actually bring further order to the earth. Okay, you're going to have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, every living thing. So what's God doing here? He makes mankind in his image, 
made us in His image, to reflect His glory, to have fellowship with Him, to worship Him, and for us to exercise this dependent on Him dominion over the earth, ruling on His behalf, extending His benevolent reign, and it was supposed to be extended all across the earth, right? So God created by His omnipotent Word, by His Spirit, and He ordered and filled. Why? Well, the Garden of Eden was, was created like a temple fit for worship and fellowship. And that place was where God would dwell with His people. Remember how it says He used to walk with them? Dwell with His people. And then that, that dwelling place, that temple, it was actually supposed to extend over the whole earth as the image bearers, those who are worshiping God, those who have fellowship with God, are fruitful and multiply, then they're going to fill the earth with His glory because they reflect His glory, which is why you have language like this later on in the Bible. We, we studied it in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 11, 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or Habakkuk 2, 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So is that, as you look on the news, is that what you see? Oh, all around the world, in every country, the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is that what you see? No. There's all kinds of violence and our idolatry has implications. So the serpent slithers in rather than content to be the image of God, dwelling in perfect fellowship with God and worshiping Him as the Creator. Adam and Eve bought a bill of goods. They bought the lie. They wanted to be like God. Wait a second, you already are. Knowing good and evil, the only thing they gained in that exchange was evil. And they worshiped and served created things. So fast forward a little bit. Do you know where the first time somebody, it, it, the Bible speaks about somebody being filled with the Spirit? It's actually an exodus. And I bet, unless you've studied this before, you, you, you're going to be surprised about who it is. It's a dude named Bezal uh, Bezalel. <laughs> okay, so Exodus 31.2. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So lest you think I've totally lost my mind that this has something to do with us this morning, here's the point. Why did the Spirit of God fill Bezalel? It's because he was supposed to work on the tabernacle. And he needed to be equipped to do that work. So why would the Spirit of God be so interested in equipping someone to be a really good craftsman, artisan, for the sake of the tabernacle? Well, because the tabernacle was where God dwelt with his people and they would worship him. There's a pattern here if you're not seeing it yet, okay? That's the whole point. So if you read the Old Testament, it quickly, quickly becomes apparent that the Old Covenant is inadequate. Okay, I'm going to fast forward quite a bit here. The Spirit is present in the Old Testament, but mainly He's at work on the prophets, priests, and kings. You know, the law is good, but it's external. It's on tablets of stone, and it can't change anyone. 
The sacrificial system is a blessing because we need forgiven and cleansed of our sins, but apart, because apart from the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But, but you know what? The blood of bulls and goats can't really take away sins. It's all temporary. It's provisional. So the prophets, fast forward, prophets start talking about the promise of a new covenant. And they talk like this. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, not a hard heart. And I will put my spirit within you, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey obey my rules. So the spirit will dwell within us and empower us to walk in obedience from the inside out. Not kind of whacked with a stick from behind, but empowered from within. The law will be written on our hearts. We'll be cleansed from all our sin. The Spirit will be poured out, not just on the leaders, prophets, priests, and kings, but listen to Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And that's quoted at Pentecost. Whoa. Spirit's really being poured out. So the Spirit's going, He's going to be at work to accomplish what the temple, what the tabernacle in the temple couldn't do. Why? so that the people of God could worship God and walk with God. So how did this all come about? Well, the Spirit came on the Virgin Mary, and the true temple was conceived. So you remember how Jesus said, he, was, he cleansed the temple, and they're saying, you know, what, what right do you have to do this? What sign will you show? And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Are you kidding me? It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? Are you crazy? But he was talking about his body. What's a temple for? It's the place where God meets with man. Oh, Jesus is the true temple. He's the true meeting place between God and man. He is the way of atonement for our sin to reconcile us to God. He's how we worship the true and living God. He's how we have fellowship with with God. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament that couldn't really take away sin, but they pointed to him. It was his sacrifice that truly dealt with our sin and reconciled us to God. So his incarnation and his life and his ministry was made possible by the Spirit. Do you remember what happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? John the Baptist baptizes him. And immediately he comes out and the heavens are opened and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and comes to rest on him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's empowered for this mission. So Jesus died and he rose again so that he could pour out the Spirit and create the church, the living temple, new people of God who worship God in spirit and truth, who walk with God in personal relationship. So I know we're talking big picture, and I know we just covered the whole, you know, like the, the whole storyline in one sense from one thread perspective. But this is what the Spirit is doing. Do you see what the Spirit's mission is here? Why is all of this 
creating work happening. It's for the sake of worship, worshiping the true and living God. So now let's look at our key text for this morning. And I think we'll see, hopefully this just kind of jumps off the page and it's really sweet to us. So just like the Spirit created, He also does the work of recreation, new creation. So 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 3. Paul writes, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan is the God of this world. He loves disorder. He loves emptiness. He wants to blind people's minds from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Do you remember that blindness? If you're in Christ today, do you remember that blindness? Do you remember when you heard the gospel and it was like, you know, whatever? And then all of a sudden, everything that once was gain and Christ was lost and worthless, it just flipped and Christ was gain and all this compared is loss and nothing? How did that happen? Because you're really smart and you just figured it out one day? Or it's because a miracle happened and the Spirit of God opened your eyes to say, yes! It's like Paul on the Damascus Road, literally blinded in order to really see. And he said, all these things that I counted as gain, my reputation, my, my resume, which was really impressive, it's all lost. Just throw it away. Christ is gain. He's everything. The Spirit of God does that. I mean, do you, do you grieve over the blindness in so many people that you love around you, maybe neighbors or coworkers or family members or friends? They're blinded. They just think this is a waste of time or worthless or, oh, it's nice for you, but whatever. I don't, need, I don't need a spiritual placebo pill. I don't need a crutch. And you can just think, oh, What hope is there of anything changing? Well, look at verses 5 and 6, 2 Corinthians 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Because God, here's why we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, because God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So do you see it? If you've tracked along, these patterns are so important to to see because here it is. The same God who created the universe by His omnipotent Word and by His Spirit, hovering, is the same God who by His Spirit empowers people like Paul and you and me to proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, proclaim the gospel, And by the power of the Word and by the power of the Spirit, the blindness can be taken away. The light of the gospel can penetrate dark hearts and new creation can happen. The God who said, let there be light, can do it again. No wonder Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You know this. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. That's not by coincidence that that follows this passage. 
The old has passed away, the old chaotic, disordered emptiness that comes from worshiping created things, worshiping idols that are nothing. So, old has passed away, the new has come. That sounds like ordering and filling. (laughs) That sounds like taking the disorder and the chaos and the emptiness and the void that sin creates and bringing newness and order and fullness of peace and hope and joy and life and love. But, you know, wait a minute. I mean, if you were paying attention, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6 doesn't say anything about the Spirit. So was I just filling that in for the sake of a neat pattern? You've got to keep me honest here. Are you tracking? Everybody awake, just checking? Look back at 2 Corinthians 3.18 now. Because we've looked at how God, by His Spirit, works. What's the mission of the Spirit? I know we're talking big picture here. We're going to zoom in in a little bit. He created and He ordered and filled for the sake of worship and fellowship and the glory of God spreading throughout the whole earth. And now we're seeing His work in recreation. So we would expect more ordering and filling, wouldn't we? Well, again, look at the transformation that takes place in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, <laughs> now, sorry, but we have to do a little bit of context here. I'll try to do this quick, okay? But Paul is contrasting his ministry with the ministry of Moses in 2 Corinthians here. You remember when Moses came down from speaking with God on Mount Sinai? Remember that weird thing that happened? His face was shining. So he beheld the glory of God and, you know, it's almost like, you know, glow-in-the-dark stuff, you know, you got to like hold it by the light and then when the light goes off, then it keeps glowing. It was something like that. I don't know what exactly this looked like. But when he came down, his face is shining. He scared the Israelites. (laughs) Like, what is going on with you? So he had to put a veil over his face. So flip back to Exodus 34. We'll just read these verses quickly, then we can come back to our our text here in 2 Corinthians and I think follow and make sense of it. So Exodus 34, verse 29, page 75 in the Pew Bible if you're using that one, if you have an ESV. So Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, the Ten Commandments, As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him... With the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded by God, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with God. Okay, so that's the background. Basically, Paul is saying that the new covenant is so much better than the old not only for Paul as a minister of the new covenant, but also for all of God's people, we can all behold God's glory. Like it was just Moses then, right? That could 
actually handle going in and seeing the glory of the Lord. So we can all behold God's glory and be changed. So look at verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So he's kind of playing on words there. He's talking about the veil from Exodus 34, but he's also referring to the blindness that's ours apart from the Spirit opening our eyes. So when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The blindness is removed. We don't have to fear the Lord like the Israelites were scared of Moses because they had hard hearts, and man, you know, you talk to him. And we all, verse 18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So how does this transformation happen? This transformation into the same image, whatever that is, well, it's the image of Christ. Do you remember down in 4.4? Satan wants to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So this transformation that the Spirit works is to make us more like Jesus. So ordering and filling us by shaping us and conforming us to the image of Christ. So how does that happen? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. Passive voice, okay? This is not something that we can do on our own. It's the Spirit of God doing the work in us to make us more like Jesus. How does He do that? Well, at first, it's obviously by a miracle work of recreation, being born again by the Spirit. So for the first time, we were in darkness and blinded, and He turns the lights on. Just like God said, let there be light, there's light. And we see Jesus as our Savior, precious Savior for the first time. But then also, the Spirit loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus, so that we become more like him. Okay, listen to uh, this quote from a book called Who on Earth is the Holy Spirit? This is the work of the Spirit, showing the truth about Christ and making Christ desirable to us, more desirable than temptation. John Owen says this, this is the great work of the Holy Spirit toward the church. He makes Christ glorious in our eyes. Okay, so this isn't a once-and-done thing. This is the Spirit continuing to shine the spotlight on Jesus so that we see His glory. Because here's the, here's the point. There's an axiom of the soul. There's like a baseline truth, whether you like it or not, this is true in our world, is that we become like what we admire. Do you know this? Like, does it resonate immediately when I say that? You know, the little seven-year-old baseball player who you know, stands at the plate like his favorite player on TV. Why does he do that? It's because he becomes like what's he, what, what he admires. Or the little girl that sings with the same voice as the pop singer, you know, kind of mimicking the inflections and whatever. Why do they do that? Because she's becoming like what she admires. Well, guess what? We were wired that way by God because we're made to reflect His glory. We should be shaped and molded to His image. What's it look like to be like God? The mirror's smashed because of sin. 
well, I'll send my son, the image of the invisible God, so that you know what it looks like, and then I'll give you the spirit so you can be recreated and reformed into that image. It's not a once and done thing. It's all the time because you know what? If we take our eyes off Jesus and we, we start taking our cues from the world around us, we'll start conforming to this world. So that's why Paul says something like, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need the Spirit to see Jesus, not as just words on a page, but as a reality. It's called the eyes of faith. And the Spirit of God loves to open them so that we behold His glory and we say, yes, I want to be like that. Because, you know what, we can't truly encounter God and remain unchanged. And yet, I think we know the feeling of trying to encounter God and really remaining unchanged. And this is where, oh, what a gift the Holy Spirit is. And this is why we ought to read the Word of God on our knees because only the Spirit of God can help us to behold Jesus with eyes of faith so that we are transformed. So I heard a story recently. Tim Keller um, said he had this friend who never would wear his seatbelt. Anytime they hung out together, you know, he just would never, oh, and he'd say, you really ought to wear your seatbelt, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, click. Well, then he went and visited his friend, and, you know, they get in the car, and first thing this guy does is click his seatbelt. It's like, whoa, what happened to you? And the guy went on to tell the story that a friend of his was in a car accident, didn't have seatbelt on, went through the windshield, 200 stitches in his face, and he visited this friend in the hospital. Now, did he gain any new information? He knew prior to that hospital visit that no seatbelt, and going, you can go through the windshield, and you can get really banged up or die. But something that was a concept became a visible reality, and it changed everything. So are you hungry for that to happen? with Jesus? Spirit of God can do that. <laughs> Spirit-enabled sight. And you know what? Even in this world, we've got to be realistic. It's, it's through a mirror dimly, it's through a glass darkly, like 1 Corinthians 13. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's why the transformation is not like immediate and complete. It's one step at a time from one degree of glory to the next and sometimes painfully slow. But you know what? One day, when Jesus comes back, we're going to see him. And when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's the same theme, 1 John 3. Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now it's by faith, and oftentimes we struggle we have trouble seeing with eyes of faith, and we walk by sight so much, and so our growth is very slow and incremental, but one day it's going to be face-to-face, -face and we're going to be transformed, glorified, and we'll fully bear the image of the Son. Okay, so the work of the Spirit is to show us Christ, eyes of faith, so we become more like Christ. And this transformation is for the sake of worship, and fellowship with God. So the Spirit is at work making a new people of God into a temple fit for God to dwell, individually and corporately.
So I hope we long for this. You want the Spirit to have His way and do His work because this is what He's after, to order and fill for worship, for fellowship. So the temple of your life, my life, being cleansed out and filled so that God can dwell with us and us with Him. But you know what? That's not all. Look at the why, number six, in the outline. Just as Adam and Eve were created for worship, blessed by God, commissioned to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, so we are recreated for worship and commissioned to be fruitful and multiply, to go and make disciples of all the nations. And the Spirit, the same Spirit, is instrumental. The one who gave us new birth is the one who empowers us for witness so that we can be fruitful and multiply, that others might be made new and worship the true and living God. So Acts 1.8, no accident that this is the Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We won't even take the time to look at 2 Corinthians 5, but it, it fits in the context here of what God is after and what He's doing to be His ambassadors, Okay? So the Spirit is at work so that we can live as Christ, being conformed to His character, reflecting His glory, and we can point people to Christ, empowered to be faithful witnesses. Okay? So this temple work, this people of God that God is remaking so that He can dwell with His people one day in fullness, that's the Spirit's mission, and He wants us to join Him in it, participate in that process. So that's why, if you look at it, in 2 Corinthians 4, the God who said, let there be light, well, guess what? He's having us go around saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. We're preaching not ourselves, but Christ is Lord. We're preaching the Word so that people are recreated. So finally, just a a bit of application here at the end. Welcome this work, point number seven. What's your posture? toward these purposes of God, this work of the Spirit. Let's just take them briefly, each in turn. First, let's not pass over this, recreation, being made new. The Bible talks about it as being as new birth or washing, renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's just an absolute miracle that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ and did that work by His Spirit, raising us from the dead. I mean, are you just so thankful to be alive? And I mean forever. Spirit of God at work. Secondly, beholding and seeing this, beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed. Do you pray for that? Do you expect that? That that's like if you crack open your Bible in the morning, it's not to check off a box. Are you crying? Are you kidding me? I was going to say for crying out loud, I've got to mix those two. Okay, so do you, you know what I'm saying? Do you pray for this, expect this, desire this? Have you experienced this? The difference between, let's say, intellectual stimulation and growth in faith, those are worlds apart. You can learn something new and go, ooh, that was better devotion than usual because I saw something I hadn't seen before. And you're just talking about a different fact. That's not what, the, I mean, certainly... Spirit of God wants to teach you new things, things you don't yet know, but He wants you to encounter Christ. So I remember just one example of this happening. I remember um, 
this doesn't bypass the mind or normal means of understanding, and you'll see this in this illustration or example, um, but it's so much more than merely understanding what words mean. Okay, so I remember one time I was preaching on John 6, it was back in Illinois, and you know, in that section, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And I had like done all the work, all the exegesis, and, you know, this all my stuff is ready, and I went to pray, and I realized, I, I don't think this has hit me at all. I, I'm not savoring, tasting, enjoying, appreciating the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And I just was walking and praying, like, just meditating on the verse, like, I, wanna, I want to know this is true. I want to experience Jesus as the bread of life. And I, all I can tell you is those words became so internally real. It didn't bypass my mind. I'm thinking about revealed scriptural truth. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And one of the things that I learned in my study is that there's a double negative there in Greek. So basically, you could literally translate it as, whoever comes to me will never ever hunger. Whoever believes me will never ever thirst, which is even sweeter, right? But you got to taste it. And I can't just taste it just by, just by studying. I need the Spirit of God to actually put this word on the tongue of my soul and, oh, yes, so good. Feed me. So oftentimes... This kind of encounter that actually changes us happens by the Word, no surprise, by the Spirit as we dependently meditate on and ponder God's Word and pray it down into our souls. Spirit of God, please give me eyes to see. And I think this is why Paul prayed like he did. Ephesians 1, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. These are Christians. What, don't they already know this? You need to really know this. You need to know it deeper. You need to experience these truths, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you. If you ever get depressed, do you need to know? Oh, I, how, how many times do people respond? I know that. No, you don't. Don't you need to know it? Like in a fresh, deeper way? And that despair will just be cast away. That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? How many times do we just think, weak and powerless? No, there's immeasurable great power available to us. Do we believe it? The Spirit of God can open our eyes to see that and believe it. Or in Ephesians 3, he says, he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are you going to do that? How are you going to know something that surpasses knowledge? Only if, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that you really experience that love. So again, are we expectant like that? Are we welcoming? Are we seeking the Spirit's work to open our eyes to see the glory of Christ so that we are transformed and then empowered for mission? Let's welcome. Don't resist the Spirit's work. Ask, seek, knock. Because when we are resisting the Spirit, it's because we're worshiping someone or something else and we don't want to give it up. 
there's idolatry in our life. If we're being led by a different spirit, the spirit of the age, Satan, both, the result is disorder and distortion and perversion and chaos and darkness and emptiness. So to worship idols is to resist or to reject the spirit's work. And we end up reflecting the, fla- the fangs. So we bite and devour rather than love. So, Bethel, let's welcome the work of the Spirit. Do you see a little bit more clearly what it is to reject or to resist the Spirit? Do you see what you're doing when you're stiff-arming the Spirit? Who of us isn't guilty of doing a little Heisman move with the Holy Spirit? We stick our fingers in our ears when it comes to conviction and a call to change. But good grief, the Spirit just wants to make us more like Jesus. Do you see what he wants to do in you? Do you see what he wants to do for you? Do you see what he wants to do through you? Do you see what a gift the Holy Spirit is? What a helper, what an advocate, what a counselor? Let's pray. And we're going to sing a song that's very appropriate. The Spirit isn't even mentioned in this song, but this is what the Spirit loves to do. The prayer that the Spirit loves to answer is to give us the mind of Christ, our Savior. So let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, in the words of that old Anglican prayer, what we know not of your character and purposes, would you please teach us? And what we are not, would you please make us? And what we have not, would you please give us? For the glory of Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen.